Welcome to the Biblical Eldership Podcast, talking about chapter six with Alex Strauch, first Jewish Christian elders. You've got a quote here you start off with from James Dunn. Love this statement. He says, the Acts of the Apostles is the most exciting book in the New Testament, probably in the whole Christian Bible. It tells of the beginnings of Christianity with a vigor and vividness which often leaves new readers breathless. <laughs> That's a great quote. My question for you is why start with the book of Acts? Why not start with First Timothy? Why not Titus? Why Acts? Well, I just want to make a, a, a comment before I answer that, David, and that is I found this as a brand new believer Acts became like a favorite book to me. It's such a mm -hmm. story of preaching, um, evangelism, uh, the Great Commission, uh, persecution. Really, uh, the reason I started there, it's the historical record of the first three decades of early Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, it provides the historical context for the epistles. So really, um, before we deal with uh, Timothy and Titus and uh, some of the other books, James, First Peter, it's good to have the context in which all this fits. Also, Acts gives us two of the most important passages on eldership, Acts 14.23, and as you will see, we'll take whole, three whole chapters on this, Acts 20, 17 to 38. Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders. There's nothing else like it in the New Testament right, right. where Paul directly speaks to the elders and gives them a charge, which really is our charge also today. So you got two of the key passages there. And then also we see what the first Christian elders did. What was their work? What was their duties? And then we see Paul's church planting ministry which was not haphazard. He was a strategic missionary. Right, right. So for all those reasons, I started with Acts. And then, of course, I like Acts. And by the way, <laughs> in my study and my writing of this book, I started with Acts 14.23. That was, I, I can remember it so vividly, reading all the commentaries on Acts 14.23 and just loving it. Well, we'll get to Acts, but you actually start a little earlier with the elders in the Old Testament. Uh, why... Why is it important to see the continuity of the Old Testament with Acts? I mean, w w explain to me the significance of just understanding the Old Testament here. Well, uh, in one of John MacArthur's booklets on elders, he talks about the fact that uh, his first teachings on elders, people said this is a new and subversive teaching. Well, how can you say that when elders appear over a hundred times in the Old Testament? You wonder, do people read the Old Testament? And we see that the eldership was uh, very familiar to any Greek reading uh, the Old Testament or any Jew. It was a fundamental institution in Israel, well suited for a patriarchal, family-oriented society. So we do get enormous amount of information uh, from the Old Testament, and it is the basis of what we're going to look at here uh, in Acts. Yeah, a hundred times in the Old Testament. E just a couple examples. Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel, wrote that visions belong to the prophet, the law, to the priest, and wise counsel to the elders. He says, disaster comes upon disaster, rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders, great window into what the Old Testament elders provided. They yeah, provided. they were men of wisdom and counsel. Right. 
right? Uh, also, educators of the people. Uh, talk to me about what, what you see in the Old Testament on that front. Well, um, the elders of Israel were to be people of the word. They had authority in specific civil matters, domestic matters, religious matters. They weren't mere figureheads. Um, they were local uh, judges and administrators. Well, how could they uh, do this job if they didn't know the law of God? And so we see in Deuteronomy 31, Deuteronomy uh, 27, that with the priests every seven years, the elders were to read the law of God to the people. So they were to be men of the word, just like the priests were. And they had numerous duties that are listed in Deuteronomy uh, to care for the people. Again, a very familiar institution. And again, it's a, it's a council. You don't read of one elder in the Old Testament. They're always plural because eldership is collegiate. Uh, you talk about elders now, I mean, just transitioning. First of all, I love the the emphasis on the continuity of just seeing, look, this is not some new foreign teaching that Paul is inventing, but transitioning now to the book of Acts, uh, Luke didn't seem the need to explain it. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, that's because uh, um, it's there in the Old Testament, and the, the idea of a collegiate group of leaders uh, a council was well known by the Greeks and the Romans. This is nothing new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why would he explain something that would just be obvious to any reader, whether Jew or Gentile, that uh, the elders represent a council of qualified leaders? First passage you mentioned is Acts 11.30. Uh, talk to me about the significance of that passage. Well, uh, here we have a, a specific thing, the... Um, uh, elders do uh, when there was this famine and the believers in Antioch wanted to send money to help their dear brothers in Jerusalem. And we see a lot of this uh, going back and forth among the early churches. Um, they send the money through Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas give it to the elders of Jerusalem, the Jerusalemite elders. Yeah. And they would administrate it and uh, uh, be responsible for that money and be accountable for that money. So they were recognized leaders in the church. Right. So first, the first window we get is they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So and was... isn't it interesting the church in Antioch knew about the elders? Now, we're not told there were elders in Antioch, but I think if you look at Acts chapter 13, those were probably united with others as an eldership. It's not stated, but they knew of eldership. Paul and Barnabas knew of eldership. So this was not anything new. Right. So Acts 11 is the first snippet we get, but then we come to arguably one of the most significant chapters in all of the Bible, uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. And we see elders' involvement in judging doctrinal issues. Talk about Acts 15 uh, from an eldership standpoint. Well, um, false teachers, uh, some call them Judaizers, um, a Pharisee, a Christian Pharisees, if you want, uh, came to Antioch. And they were teaching in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. All right, there's a direct attack on the gospel of the grace of God by faith. 
Notice that uh, Barnabas and Paul had no small dissension and debate with them. In other words, they were not passive leaders. They were two of the key teachers in Antioch. They resisted this teaching. They fought this teaching. They debated it. Now, you have Paul and Barnabas as apostles. Uh, Paul received the gospel from a direct revelation from our Lord. They certainly could have handled this thing in Antioch. But they push it back onto Jerusalem. And that's a very important point. And that's the question, why? Why did they do that? They pushed it back to, Ant uh, to Jerusalem, not because it was an annual meeting, but because that's where the false teaching came from. And they were claiming Jerusalem as their authority. So what better thing to do is go back to where the evil is. So you've got this close association with the apostles and the elders, and they have this, this meeting. Tell me what, I mean, elaborate more on the significance of this. Well, this is this interesting. Why did the elders need to be included in this? You have the 12 apostles. You even have Paul and Barnabas. You've got the super heavy hitters here. Why are the elders included with the apostles? Six times in this passage, it's apostles and elders. Always apostles first because they're the foundational um, body of the church of Jesus Christ. Why are the elders included with them in this entire debate? Well, the reason is this. In verse 24, it says, Since we, apostles and elders, have heard that some persons have gone out from us troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So the reason the, uh, the elders are included with the apostles is that the false teaching and the false teachers were claiming Jerusalem as their authority and claiming they were coming out under their auspices. The elders were the leadership council of Jerusalem at this time. Mm -hmm. So they had to be included because it had to be clear, did the elders, did the apostles send these false teachers out? What is their part mm -hmm. in this new t uh, teaching of you must obey the law of Moses, you must be circumcised? Mm -hmm. So it was forced back on the elders, and we see again the indispensable role of the elders in judging doctrine. So it sort of sets up the jurisdiction of local elders. Uh, they, they have this one, it's a one-time meeting. It's not like they're doing this annually. And it establishes the, really the jurisdiction of the local elders. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we see the elders are over Jerusalem. Now they're a, a part of this letter that will be written and sent to the Gentile churches uh, with the apostles and elders because all the Gentile churches needed to know the mother church in Jerusalem, is it involved with right. these false teachers? Right. So they, it had to be made very clear that the apostles and the elders uh, were not in agreement and were clarifying the mm -hmm. gospel. I guess the significance, I think you highlight at the bottom of page 83, we, we don't see the New Testament churches being governed by an overarching ecclesiastical organization binding all churches together under its jurisdiction and rules. Only the apostles had such authority. Yes, there's that wonderful quote. I hope our readers will read that quote um, by Michael Kruger. 
uh, where he examines church history and shows that for hundreds of years there was no binding ecclesiastical authority uh, that every church had to answer to and agree with. Now, in saying that, it is also true there was a great deal of interaction among the first church congregations, shared speakers, uh, um, itinerant teachers, shared money, uh, um, were, were um, encouraged and strengthened by other churches. So there was this wonderful fellowship of churches, but there does not appear that there was any official uh, organization mm -hmm. above the local church. Let me read part of that Kruger quote. Uh, and he mentions that I believe in Christianity at the crossroads, how the second century shaped the future of the church. But Kruger says, we see that individual churches and their leaders were quite willing to collaborate, communicate, and cooperate. Indeed, the extensive letter writing between churches suggests that a high level of interaction was the norm. But in the midst of such interaction, there are no indications of an authoritative structure where one bishop or church rules over another. Uh, on the contrary, he goes on, it seems that local congregations existed as independent units governed by their own leadership structure, but were nevertheless quite willing to cooperate, interact, and even to gather together for discussions about important matters. Great Great observation. There yes, and he points up like the letter of Clement and the other very early letters showed interaction and care for one another and even advice and wisdom, but no official authority right. that the church in Rome could uh, tell uh, the church in Corinth, you have to do this or you're out of the organization. So it is a fellowship right. of churches. So and all this to say Acts 15 shouldn't be used to justify official court, church courts, you know, governing over local churches. I mean, that's kind of the main observation, right? Yes. Just not enough information. Too much is read into this right. passage. Right. Uh, last passage, I think it's the last passage you mentioned, is Acts 21, uh, another super interesting passage for a number of reasons. but. For our purposes, who is James? Uh, James, obviously, front and center of this uh, section, but let's talk about the significance of James in Acts 21. First, let me give you the background to this. Uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, 57 AD, the spring. He wants to be there by Pentecost, and he's traveling with a group of Gentile uh, representatives of the Gentile churches, and they are sending a large offering to the poor in Jerusalem. Uh, this is done to bring together the churches uh, to show love and fellowship and oneness. There's only one body of Christ. There's not lots of bodies of Christ. So it was a very loving thing. And when Paul and uh, his comrades arrive in Jerusalem, they meet immediately with James and the elders. So, of course, the question comes up, who is James? Right. Well, the early church uh, documents say, well, James was the bishop and the elders were the clergy. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's reading back into uh, the New Testament, later church ideas, ecclesiastical ideas. It's certainly not historical. So James is one of the chief spokesmen, uh, not, not the official chieftain over the Council. Well, he is called in Galatians one of the pillars with James, with Peter, I mean, and John, a, a pillar in the church. 
interesting, this is very interesting, that Luke does not give him a title. There's nothing mm -hmm. clearly stated. Uh, Galatians 1 seems to indicate, I would say strongly indicates, he was an apostle. He was the uh, half-brother of our Lord. He was a highly respected teacher, and we see that from the book of James, his, his skill mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as almost a prophetic-like teacher. And uh, highly respected, definitely first among his equals, but there's no special title given to him in Acts at all. As some have said, he, ha he said the last word, but it didn't mean he had the last right. word. It's interesting. This just reminds me of, uh, you know, our Lord's teaching in Matthew 23 again, the, the love of titles. People love, you know, special titles, special places, and it's, it's noteworthy that James uh, does not have that, is not given that. Well, in his book, he calls himself a slave of Jesus right. Christ when right. he opens. And right. then Jude talks about uh, Jude, the brother of James. So our love for titles is not something that Paul, uh, that Luke shares. And they're all brothers. And among the brotherhood, yes, some are uh, set aside as, by our Lord as apostles. Mm -hmm. James appears to be that. He's a very, very influential man because of his godly life, his special relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, and his great ability. So, yes, he's one of the pillars of the church. You make a great point uh, just on how Luke uses the plural form in that whole passage. You know, the, all the elders are present after greeting them. When they heard it, they glorify God, and they said to him, you know, therefore, uh, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men. We have a you know sent a letter with our judgment. Uh, very good observation. I think you make there and just his plural use of that whole story. Yes, James uh, almost immediately drops out of the picture. Now he doesn't drop out of the picture. He's there, but from Luke's perspective, Paul is speaking to the council of elders. Now that's a good question. Was uh, James an elder? Was James an apostle? Was he both? Uh, was he? Some people thought he, he should have been the twelfth apostle, mm -hmm. but Acts one shows that is not true. Um, James was um, an apostle, but he probably was an elder and a leading elder among the elders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he meets with them. But again, this is not Luke's interest to try to right. nail down some kind of right. hierarchical right. position for James. Right. Any closing comments on this chapter on on Acts, the first Jewish Christian elders? Uh, what how would you what word would you give? Well, you, you know, this? someone really interested this in this and uh, wanting to go more in depth. I would really suggest they go through Deuteronomy uh, and see the role of the elders in the Old Testament. They have a very very significant role as judges, men of wisdom, uh, men of counsel. Um, uh, men are, are, are examples of the law and teaching of the law. So you'll learn a lot, and you'll also learn as you read the Old Testament. I've done this. I've got. I've listed every example in the Old Testament. The failure of the elders in the Old Testament, sometimes catastrophic mm -hmm. failure. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the judgment of God is taking away the wisdom of the elders. So if you have time or just your regular Bible reading, uh, start writing down, noting down the elders' place in the history of Israel, in the development of the people of God. And then you can go to the book of Revelation, and there you have the 24 elders around the throne of God, 
real debate on who they are. My own opinion is they're angels in a sort of a, a council, a governing council. Um, but it's just not it's not easy to discern that. But you see the elders again. So this idea that eldership is a new and right. subversive idea is ridiculous. Right. 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 Just read your Bible. That's right. what I would suggest. <laughs> That's a good summary. Good dose of Bible reading would help you. Good summary of chapter six. Alex, thank you. Next uh, time we'll, we'll look at chapter seven, appointing elders in every church. But this has been good. Thanks. Biblical Eldership Resources is committed to equipping church elders to help them be effective, godly leaders of the church. Please consider donating to the ministry so that we can continue to provide essential eldership resources for church elders around the world. To donate, go to biblicaleldership.com.